everything seems so clear cut, but there is a lot of struggling mentally, physically, emotionally that went into it. And we need to recognize that as well. That is Dr. Serena Nehi. And this is the Vin Foundation's Veterinary Pulse podcast. I'm Jordan Benshia, Executive Director of the Vin Foundation. Join me and our co-host and Vin Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland, as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics and share stories. Stories that connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible through individual donations to the Vin Foundation. Thank you. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Serena. Of course. It's Um, nice to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have you. And I want to give the audience a little intro for how we met. So um, Serena reached out to me on Instagram, which I like maybe four or five years ago would have thought, what? what the heck is that? But here we are in 2021. uh, And um, our relationship kind of grew from there. And we got to know each other and uh, had a Zoom call. And I thought she would be a great fit for this podcast. So um, yeah, thanks again for joining us. And I guess we can get started with uh, the start of your story. So where were you born and raised? Yeah, it's not a problem to be here at all. And I'm happy to be here. I was born and raised in Fishers, Indiana, and I am actually still currently here, which is not what I planned for, but I hear a lot of life is not what you planned for. So (laughs) I will probably be here for a little bit longer, but the plan is to eventually expand out further to bigger cities in the U.S. Yes, that's one of the things that you and I have in common. I am talking to you from the house I grew up in. And that is not what I had planned for, um, <laughs> but here we are. And yeah. so you were, so you were, and we're not too far away. I'm just outside Chicago. You're in Indiana. Um, we could probably mm-hmm. do a day trip and hang out once the pandemic fog is lifted. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so at what point from starting out in Indiana, did you decide that you wanted to be a veterinarian? So... I was one of the basics that wanted to be a vet since I was little, but my reason for pursuing vet med changed a lot over time. When I was younger, I knew that I wanted to, you know, be a dog vet. That was my thing. I just (laughs) loved dogs. Um, And I still kind of me. I mean, I, dogs will always hold a special place in my heart. As I, as I grew older, I realized that I have a lot of interests in the public health aspect of vet med. So I actually thought that I wanted to do research in public health for uh, quite some time. Once I got to undergrad, um, I decided to pursue a microbiology degree. Mm. And um, from there on, I wanted to find research opportunities just to enhance my application uh, to apply to vet school. So it wasn't a plan to, you know, be in research forever. It was just to make my, essentially to make my application more competitive, but I ended up liking it a lot. The parts about research that I really loved 
uh, was actually, you know, the diversity aspect of it, getting to meet a lot of different people doing a lot of different things in vet med and none of it just essentially none of it really felt like vet med. It felt like we had access to the world um, Mm -hmm. with, with science um, because everybody was connected, you know, on this one thing. So I thought that was really, really beautiful. And Eventually, I started to learn about One Health and the connection of vet med as an integral component of, you know, access to human health care, access to environmental health. So that's kind of what kept me going, especially, you know, when growing up, I was told, you know, why not be a human doctor? Because culturally, that was respected a lot more than going into vet med. So I I felt like I had to find a lot of different things about vet med to kind of justify why I wanted to go into it. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, oh, well, you know, look at all these reasons. Look at how involved we are in research. Look at where we are in vaccine development, you know, because of vet med. And eventually, you know, my justification for pursuing vet med became my reason for pursuing vet med. So that's kind of where the clinical to non-clinical transition happened for me. And I was really, really set on doing that um, until the pandemic hit. And I realized that I, I just needed, you know, something that I could really rely on and could help to pay off loans immediately. And so a, a clinical position is what I took. Um, but I definitely don't regret it at this point. I think it's opened a lot of new doors for me. And and when you say, well, I have two questions now. Like, what yes. are the doors that have been opened? Um, but mm-hmm. also, uh, when you say, you know, why not go into human medicine? Um, mm-hmm. Because that's more culturally respected. Mm-hmm. Um, are you talking about, like, which culture are you talking about? Yes. So... Um, I am Indian, Gujarati Indian, um, and my parents, um, you know, they grew up in the UK, so they're pretty, pretty familiar with Westernized culture, um, aside from, you know, the fact that the British colonized India and that, you know, pretty significantly affected how Indian culture, um, the intricacies of Indian culture works, but that's a whole different conversation to get mm. into. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, you know, they're familiar with Western culture. So I think that was a really, a difficult thing, um, to work with growing up is knowing that, okay, my parents are familiar with, you know, Westernized culture, but there's just so much pushback for a lot of things that I would have expected them to, um, you know, kind of be familiar with or have already accepted. But I think part of moving to a new country um, comes with, you know, a burden of feeling or in a sense of guilt of feeling like you need to carry on uh, certain cultural uh, perspectives. And one of them being that, you know, animals are, animals essentially belong outside um, they're not really a part of the family. They uh, they can be companions, but you shouldn't really be that involved with them. And um, you know they're they're dirty and they just carry disease and stuff. But that 
you know, that became sort of the reason for pursuing vet med is, okay, well, they don't have to have diseases. They can be a part of our families. They can, um, you know, be involved in our day-to-day lives. So that was kind of the the pushback in pursuing vet med is if you're already going to learn that much about animals, you know, why not just apply it to human medicine? Um, in Indian culture, that's just significantly more respected. And that's changing over time. Um, definitely that there's been a huge shift uh, since I was a kid. Um, and so that's really amazing to see. And my boss is actually Indian as well. Um, so he definitely understands, you know, where, where I come from in terms of um, having that pushback growing up. But um, he's somebody that I respect a ton. And one of the doors that has opened up for me, which he has allowed for me to have, is uh, early practice ownership um, and early leadership opportunity. Oh, look at so, that. You answered both questions at the same yes, time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I try to. Um, <laughs> there's just so much that's intersectional, you know, um, and that's my goal in life is to find intersectionalities intersectionalities in life and highlight them. So that's one of them. I am proud to say that I am now a practice owner as well as medical director. Congrats. uh, 26 years old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's not ever something that I would have imagined to say, especially, you know, just one year ago, five years ago. It's just, there's so much, I think, um, about people that, that we look at. <clears throat> on paper, on their resumes, um, on social media, for example, and it's just snapshots of their life, um, and everything seems so clear cut. But this has taken, you know, a lot to get to, and we can get yeah. into that later too. But I think that that's also something that I would like to show to the world is that yes, this is where I'm at right now, but you know, on paper, it may look like things were happenstance or they, they turned out really well. There is a lot of struggling uh, menti- mentally, physically, emotionally um, that went into it. And we need to recognize that as well. Yeah. I mean, you said we can get into it later, but why, why not now? Let's, okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I, it's important too, because I totally yes. agree with you about the, you know, we see, snapshots of other people's lives and um, things may things may appear uh i don't know if this is the right word but easier than they actually are and that's not Mm -hmm. that's not always like the intent of of what um you know like i'll speak for myself like when i post Mm -hmm. snapshots of my life on social media it's Mm -hmm. i don't intend for things to make it seem like they're easier than they are but sometimes they can just look that way Um, Absolutely. So, so yeah, Yeah. I I totally hear you there. Yeah. Um, And, you know, even if people may not see it as, oh, it's easy for them, they sometimes see it as, oh, um, they're, you know, they live the perfect life or things worked out for them. It's not going to work out for me because I have all these other issues ongoing. But And I I know we were talking about this prior to the start of the podcast, but you don't know what, what people are going through. Um, You can make all the assumptions that you want, 
but at the end of the day, um, you don't know until you're, until you are that person. Yeah. For me, I think mental health has been a huge, huge struggle since before I, I committed to pursuing VETMED basically since I was a teenager and it only got harder over time. And I, I'm unsure of, you know, how often this happens to other people. I know, you know, as a field, we struggle heavily with depression and suicide. Unfortunately, it is, it's very apparent once it happens, you know, once something severe happens, then we start to pay attention. But I think we need to start to pay attention before these things happen because, you know, severe depressive episodes, self-harm, those are all things I struggled with while I was in vet school, while I was in clinics. I would have something like that going on and then have to go in to go medicate a horse or something like that and just go about the day like it, like it never happened. Um, and, and then that's what ends up happening. We bottle it up and um, just keep going. But it's, it's going to, you know, it's extremely valuable. It's hard, but it's extremely valuable to talk about that before, before things get really bad. So that's something that I, I knew going into this that I wanted to talk about as well is this isn't meant to be like, oh, you know, feel sorry for this person. This is meant to be that these are things that happen every day and we need to pay attention. Yeah, I... Um... It makes me think of a couple of things. So I was struggling uh, more than I ever had mental health wise Mm -hmm. uh, last year. And um, part of what uh, helped me through it, um, I'm not going to say out of it because it's a lifelong challenge. Um, But part of part of what helped me through last year's valleys uh, was my colleagues and mm-hmm. I felt comfortable enough with them to talk openly and freely with what was bothering me. And I also felt incredibly lucky and grateful for that because I, I know that's not the case for many of us in this profession. Yeah. And they were able to, um, they listened, they pretty much dropped what they were doing and mm-hmm. um, they listened and, and put me in touch with um, the people at Vets for Vets, the Venn Foundation resource, and they did the same thing. They listened and um, like figured out what I needed and ultimately put me in touch with providers here in the Chicago area that could, you know, that were experts who could um, like, tr- like diagnose and treat me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it, it also reminds me of a prior conversation you and I had about how you, um, you felt like somewhat supported at Georgia, which is where you went to vet school. Cause I don't think we, I don't think we said that out loud, but you said you felt somewhat supported there, but somewhat Mm -hmm. like also somewhat not supported. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of reason for that was, you know, having, having grown up with uh, a different cultural perspective you know, the lack of diversity, the lack of inclusion, people will do their best to try. But at the end of the day, if we're not taught about cultural competency, then, 
it, it can only go so far. And so I think that was a huge part of, you know, me feeling completely isolated yeah. is, uh, and, and only contributed to, you know, worsening mental health was that we didn't, we didn't have that kind of representation as much as we should. That's really something that we need to do better on as well. And that's, you know, a big part of why I wanted to start this organization was to enhance the feeling of people feel, uh, enhance the feeling of uh, people being comfortable in, in their own skin and it staying that way, you know, not just on day one, but on their bad days as well. Yeah. And can you um, both tell us the name of the organization and also the meaning behind the name? Yes. So Chapter 8 is the organization. I founded it in June of 2020. And it's so that... It's about to turn one. I'm sorry? I said it's about to turn one. We should have a party. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're over six months old, which is really (laughs) weird to say, but we didn't actually get nonprofit status, I think, until December. So I guess that would be the official. Okay. The official founding as a nonprofit. Um, But yeah, the, so it's eight as in, you know, the Roman numerals, V-I-I-I. So the acronym of the Roman numerals would be Veterinary Inclusion and Intersectionality Initiative. That's where chapter eight comes from. Um, I think that's so cool. Thank you. I really appreciate that. (laughs) It makes Um, you think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like the number eight because if you turn it on its side, it's infinity. So the plan is for it to be an infinite concept of greatness. And I founded the organization, you know, to uh, bring together multiple underrepresented groups in vet med and beyond vet med too. So um, that's kind of where the one health perspective comes into it uh, because we obviously, you know, vet med isn't the only field where we have lack of inclusion, lack of intersectionality. So the goal is to bring together eventually um, multiple healthcare groups to enhance inclusion of those who identify as underrepresented. Um, And, you know, that way to better understand how we can enhance accessibility of healthcare, um, of vet med to those underrepresented groups from a clinical, non-clinical perspective to diversify career opportunities, you know, to build a, a community for people to better understand one another's experiences. Eventually, we want to have opportunities for students, maybe maybe people who aren't going to school but aren't students yet. Of course, professionals as well. So people who may be done with school and um, are, are working in the field or working non-clinically to be able to have that community to rely on. If they want to pursue different opportunities, then they'll have that as a community to go to, but also to share their experiences through art as well as social media. Uh, what since last June would you say mm-hmm. are you like, well, I was going to say most proud of, but that's <laughs> that puts it, maybe that puts a little too much pressure. So like, what are you proud of? So we started a merchandise line 
And we wanted to, you know, we wanted to have something that reached multiple underrepresented groups, as well as, you know, enhancing inclusion in, in all healthcare fields. So we decided to start a merchandise line that has pronouns on it. And uh, they say, you know, like doctor, they, them, um, nurse, she, her, uh, future doctor, he, him. Um, so it, it had, you know, pronouns in that sense. And then also the Black Lives Matter symbol on it to enhance inclusion of Black Lives Matter in healthcare. And our goal was to raise at least uh, $250 so that way we could match um, another organization and collaborate on a scholarship. And we are working on that at this time, but I believe that we're going to have a scholarship pretty soon here. And that, you know, that's in less than six months that we were able to do that. So I think that that's really, really cool is, you know, being able to use artistic perspective to bring to science to make people feel more included. We don't, you know, like I said, we don't have a scholarship in place yet, but the plan is to eventually build a scholarship to allow for students who are interested in vet med. So this was, this was um, a fundraiser that was done in February. So that is Black History Month. And we wanted it to specifically be for a Black student pursuing vet med. Um, or interested in vet med, but still looking for experience to get a better idea of whether or not they they truly want to pursue vet med. Because part of, you know, as we all know, part of the application of, of applying to vet school is to gain large animal experience, full animal experience, exotic experience. Not everybody has accessibility to all of those uh-huh. um, opportunities. And, at, you know, to add on to that, a lot of those opportunities are not paid. So, the goal is to allow for students who are, you know, somewhat interested in vet med, maybe don't know, to get a paid experience basically for about two to three weeks and uh, get a better idea of whether or not that is truly something they, they want to pursue, um, whether that be in large animal, small animal, public health, government work, research, uh, whatever they desire, as long as it's within, you know, the capacity of vet med to enhance their application. Yeah. And I I feel like I keep plugging the VIN foundation, but this is so relevant. Like we've got, we've got, I want to be a veterinarian.org. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like exactly what you're talking about. It's for people who are at the point where they're considering, like, should I go mm-hmm. into vet med? Should I go into something else? Like mm-hmm. what, would, what exactly would this look like? Um, mm-hmm. And for anybody out there who wants to pick our brains, it's what we do. Um, is help so you can email us with any questions and we can we can put you in touch with the right resources and sounds like we've got another resource in you yeah so um yeah you know whether you like it or not you're on our list now for for people (laughs) who are gonna we're gonna tell um our experts in in applying to vet school perfect Um, yes i'm happy to happy to help out in any way i can I, I, I mean, like I'm, I'm thinking about, you've already mentioned the word, you know, when you're talking about research and you said, um, one of the things that, that drew you to it the most or stood out Mm -hmm. the most was diversity. And, Mm -hmm. 
in the name of your organization is inclusion. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about the relationship between diversity and inclusion and how, I mean, I think, I think you opened my eyes to it when we talked the first time, how Mm -hmm. it's like, you, you really can't have one without the other, but I'll let you put it in your words. Yes. So I think, um, to, yes, to truly achieve, um, one, you have to achieve the other. And I think that there's really no power, um, in what the two achieve without having the two coincide. Um, so, so much has been focused on diversity and diversity in, in my I guess from my perspective is representation of variety. And so that's variety of, you know, culture, ethnicity, race, disability status, sexuality, gender, and so much more. And that is something that objectively we can gain a better idea of in, you know, in numbers and inclusion seems like something that's more subjective, but it's really not. Um, inclusion is, you know, the amount of comfort that you're going to feel in a certain situation based on all the factors that a certain environment has ongoing um, to make you feel that way. So I think, you know, to, to truly achieve continuity of diversity, you need inclusion because there's no way that you're going to continue to have that representation unless you have an environment where people are going to feel comfortable to continue to pursue that. So you can have, you can have diversity all you want for a short period of time, but you're not going to continuously achieve having a diverse environment without also having an inclusive environment. Yeah. And that, well, first of all, I totally agree. Um, Second of all, that makes me think of like, like an institution, like a veterinary school or college that is, you know, means well by trying to pay attention to diversity by um, inviting more underrepresented minorities into you know, into their class and offering mm-hmm. them spots, but that like, like, you know, like that doesn't, that in and of itself doesn't do enough or really like without any inclusion, it, do, it doesn't do anything other than like change some, you know, bar graphs. Like it, exactly. it has to, it has to be more than, yeah, than just diversity. And so I, I guess I wonder, what you think about the profession um, in terms mm-hmm. of like what it's doing well, what it could be doing better, where, mm-hmm. where it needs to go, like those kinds of big picture questions. You know, exactly like what you were saying. Um, it is very frustrating to see when vet med, you know, has, has these numbers, they see that we're not, you know, as diverse as we can be. And they, the only goal is to increase numbers. Um, And I think that, you know, that's part of the reason why is because like we were talking about earlier, diversity is the easiest, the easiest idea to objectify. 
And it's, you know, it, it, it's just something that is so short term minded that it's eventually just going to fall off. And I think that it's something that, you know, you can reach a certain peak, but eventually it's going to fall off. It's going to fall off. And, um, for that line to keep going up in a positive manner, we need to enhance cultural competency. Um, so that's definitely something that I think we can do better about including as a component of a curriculum. Um, we have communications courses. A lot of vet schools have communications courses now, which is good, but I think that it's very one-sided in how we need to communicate with people. Um, just like I think professionalism, um, you know, for a very long time has been very one-sided in uh, what is considered professional. And at some point it's not it's just not fair because it's not culturally inclusive. I think what, you know, that's something that we definitely need to do um, as well as increase the diversity in leadership. You know, we're, we're doing, a lot of vet schools are doing a lot to try to increase, you know, the diversity in the classes themselves, but we should also you know, in order for people to feel included, we should also have diverse people in leadership positions because then we know, okay, yeah, there is a possibility that we can eventually make it too. And that also offers mentorship opportunities for underrepresented groups um, where they can feel comfortable enough to go to somebody for, you know, somebody who has similar experiences to them um, for mentorship opportunities. I think that, you know, we're, we're getting there and I think that that's getting noticed, but when we have situations where, you know, all the deans or a majority of the deans in vet schools are not, you know, I guess aren't considered to be part of, of an underrepresented group and the heads of the departments and people in high up in entrepreneurship, in vet med, what we see is that there is a limit to how far we can go, but there, there isn't. And I think that we, we need to start to realize that. And that's part of chapter eight school too. We're working on setting up some programs so that we can, you know, enhance communication and leadership skills for underrepresented groups. So that way, you know, we, we have a pathway for people to eventually get to those positions and hopefully eventually um, be available as mentors in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what you said near the end there about how, you know, it can look like there's a limit, but there isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, uh, uh, this might seem like a total 180, but I also like, I'm also reminded of um, how, what you said when we first talked about how there's not a limit to uh, to the profession in terms of like, it doesn't have to all be like, uh, it doesn't have to be all be about like clinical medicine. Like you were talking mm -hmm. about how how you see the value of things like art and music and, mm -hmm. and like 
you know, be like being, being colleagues in, mm -hmm. and, and being colleagues in those spaces too. So not mm -hmm. just like a personal hobby, but like sharing those things as veterinarians. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, sorry, I, there's something that I wanted to state on that in terms of, you know, the, the classical statement of the limit does not exist because I think that sure. that, so that is true, but I think that there's also, there's a lot of idealism in that. Um, and a third component that I forgot to mention and is very, very important is financial accessibility of, of vet med too, in order for people to, you know, feel like they will have long-term inclusion in the field. So I think that, that saying, you know, the limit, the limit doesn't exist. Yes. In terms of leadership, yes, we should be able to feel like we can make it there. Um, but there's a lot of factors that are working against underrepresented groups that, you know, systemically, we also need to appreciate too. So I think that those, those are kind of two separate concepts that I want to highlight. But, you know, we have an extremely high debt to income ratio, and that really puts people off of vet med as well. But understanding that accessibility to veterinary medical healthcare, as well as accessibility to veterinary medical education, is very much dependent on financial status. Um, that's something that we also really need to change and really need to address to truly achieve equity in vet med. So I just want to, you know, kind of make that, those definitions clear in that we need to, we need to understand that it is possible for us to achieve this, but at the same time, we also need to understand all the factors working against us that are the reasons why we aren't achieving this. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of add on to that, or I guess edit what I was trying to say earlier, um, because I don't want to seem like a cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you do at all. Um, Thanks. <laughs> for whatever that's worth. I no, I agree. Like the, so yeah, what you just said, the access to education and the access to healthcare, like specifically veterinary education and veterinary healthcare is mm -hmm. very much tied to financial status. And what I thought you were going to say next was like, that's very much tied to the color of your skin. Um, yeah, I wish, absolutely. I wish it weren't yes. that way, but if you look at, yeah. If you look at wealth in this country, it, mm -hmm. it breaks down um, pretty clearly. The, like, the facts don't lie there. And it, yeah. that's, like, that's both important to recognize um, and address to the extent that we can. And, mm -hmm. and also, like, and I'm not giving anybody a free pass here, but it's also mm -hmm. a bigger problem than just veterinary medicine. It's, oh, yes, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's a problem everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's that's kind of where the public health aspect of that Meg comes into play is that inevitably as a field that's, you know, trying to promote public health, we are um, also promoting the status of systemic health care. Um, 
and the systemic racism in healthcare. And we need to do a lot better of a job in understanding our role in that and how we can do better for our Black colleagues, for our Latinx colleagues, for our uh, Native Indigenous colleagues. Um, I know that I'm a person of color, but I still have privilege as an Asian American. And, um, you know, compared to my Black colleagues, compared to my Latinx colleagues, compared to Native Indigenous colleagues, and there's no way to move forward without recognizing what works in my favor um, and what doesn't, because there's also a lot that doesn't work in my favor. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big part of, um, you know, the, the financial aspect of why, um, we need to do better in vet med as well as the cultural aspect of why we need to do better in vet med. Yeah. Um, I, like, I wish I had a, you know, a nice note to, wrap up this part of the conversation on but I don't it's just yeah there is none it's, it's just not uh, a nice thing it's not there's a lot yeah. of work to do and yeah it's like it's going to take a lot of people um the the thing the thing that I've learned through like a couple different careers and you know, lots of different jobs within those careers is that like in any institution I've ever been in, whether it's professional sports or the United States government or veterinary medicine, like mm -hmm. change, the reason change doesn't happen is because it's not important enough to enough important people. And that's that, correct. Yeah. Like we just have to, we just have to keep shouting um, politely, mm -hmm. I guess, but sometimes not politely. I yeah i i yeah i think we're past the polite shouting now <laughs> but unfortunately yeah a lot of movement forward is dependent on on politicizing things that are are just you know objectively no, no longer political they're just pure they're they're pure racism and we need to address that Unfortunately, we're not going to solve that here. No, um, no, and, but, but we can, you know, we can make steps. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. like, this is a step is by having a conversation and hopefully mm -hmm. people will listen to it and um, yeah. we, can, we can grow the group of people who are interested in it. That's, mm -hmm. that's all you can really ever do is like get a critical mass of people to care about the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, but one thing, yeah, one thing you said in there is, you know, about the, um, you know, not having limits. And one thing that struck me in our first conversation was you said our profession shouldn't have limits to mm -hmm. just the science side of things, like also the art side. And yeah, and I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, so I think that you know, that was a big part of why we decided to have um, a merchandise line for um, for Chapter 8. And that's that's not the... So we have this one set out and we plan to continue to do more on that end. Um, My first yeah. shirt's in the mail. Nice. I'm, I'm happy that you ordered. Thank you for doing that. Thank you I for think supporting. I think it said it was going to take like two months because the mail takes forever these days, but... Yeah. Um, that's yeah. okay. I'm not really going anywhere. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, thank you for supporting. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely plan to do a lot more with that. Um, but I think that's an example of how art can be brought to our field um, to enhance overall inclusion um, as well. And that's not the that's not the only aspect of it. I think that we can do a lot more with writing, um, sharing things through writing, sharing things through media, you know, sharing through music. There's there's just so much um, that I think we put away um, in the name of professionalism in science. And that's so unnecessary and only hinders us from eventually, you know, from connecting with people um, based on our experiences, effectively enhancing inclusion as well. So I love music um, and I definitely plan to do a lot more with it. When I was in school, you know, I met quite a few people who really felt the same way as well. And things like, you know, using music to raise money for people who may not have money for accessibility, um, either, you know, like we were talking about in education or healthcare. Um, those are all things that we can do. There, there's always, you know, a way to do something differently. And there's a lot of potential for us to bring that to vet med. So I would really like to see that in the near future. Um, I think with social media, we have a lot of possibilities and we're already, we're already doing that um, in terms of having, you know, like Instagram live interviews, um, people coming up with different ways to post things, you know, posting poetry online about their experiences, all that they, all that counts and it's all creative ways to better understand how we can do better together. Yeah. You're talking to a guy who usually posts one haiku a day. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I appreciate all about your it. Oh, thank you. Um, of course. I, we don't even have to tell the audience that, that I asked you to say that. Um, <laughs> although I guess I just did. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I used to play trombone in undergrad and high school. And mm -hmm. um, I like, yeah, like you said, like using music as a fundraiser is that seems like mm -hmm. such an outside the box idea for vet med for like a group. Yeah. Like vet med. But yeah. it's not. It's just music. Yeah. And I think that that's that reaches a larger problem, too. And it's not just in vet med, but it's like if you're a doctor or if you're a scientist, you're not allowed to do all these other things. Like yeah. that's what you do. And you have to be serious all the time. And it's not, it's not to say you can't, you know, that being in music isn't serious or anything like that, but that's what people see it as. Sometimes they think that, Oh, that's, that's just like, you know, a side hobby that you do, or that's less important, but um, you know, it's, it, it's possible that it's just as important, if not more important. Mm -hmm. um i know that to me music is probably you know oftentimes more important because it helps me um achieve self-awareness um and while there's a lot about vet med that i greatly appreciate i don't think that it's helped me achieve the emotional intelligence that music has 
Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's different for everybody, but we need to recognize that there are so many parts of people. There are so many different parts of their experiences, parts of their personalities, and we need to appreciate all of them um, as long as they're not causing harm to anybody, obviously. But there's, there's just so much potential with in, in recognizing that. Yeah. And I, I, um, I forget who said it and I forget how it was worded, but I saw a tweet and most, Mm -hmm. most bad stories start that way. Um, (laughs) I saw a tweet that said um, like, thank you to all the, artists, actors, musicians, etc., who, you know, like who make, who make all this stuff for a living and who do all this every day yeah. because it's gotten us through the pandemic, like with yes. all the TV shows and movies that we watched and mm-hmm. like books that we've read, like that's, yeah. Like if, if we start to think that that is not important, well, there's a lot of evidence in the last year that you probably yeah. relied on those things to get through the days and nights. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are, uh, we are just about out of time, but if you would like to leave the audience with one thing, what would it be? And it can be more than one <laughs> thing. You can, you can break the rule. Leave the audience with one thing. Um, that I hope that they have an amazing day. <laughs> oh, that's nice. But yeah, I basically, um, you know, aside from that, that I am always open to conversation. Um, and, you know, it would be amazing if they would want to be a part of Chapter 8's initiative as well. Um, we're always happy to accept new members. Um, we're always including new members. Um, and also if anybody ever has any ideas that they would like to bring to the table, we're more than open to that as well. So I would just be happy to meet anybody and everybody, um, that feels the, you know, feels that they're able to reach out and we can go from there. Great. Um, And, and, uh, oh yeah, I was going to say like, if you've listened till now thank you first of all and we'll have the we'll have the links in the episode notes but also we'll we'll put all this stuff on like on social media too yeah absolutely i yeah if you can get through all this thank you so much for (laughs) for listening to us um for anyone interested we will put both serena and chapter eight's contact info in the episode notes and before we part ways is there anything you'd like to say at the very end, Serena? I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen. Um, And if they would like to reach out, I would be happy to have, you know, open any conversation with them. If they have any ideas to bring to the table about chapter eight, we're always happy to listen about, uh, listen to that. And um, we look forward to building a community together. Yeah, so Serena is happy to listen to you, and I hope you are happy to listen to this episode, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, Serena. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, 
and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.